Christmas stories can be very strange, can't they? When we think of Christmas stories, we think of the nativity, we think of the angels singing, we think of the wise men coming, we think of God sending his son, but we don't often think of the genealogy of Jesus. And yet, in this brief little genealogy, Matthew has set out, he has taken this and traced back this uh, kind of who do you think you are series on uh, National Geographic or whatever channel it is, History Channel I believe it is, that talks about the lineage of Jesus Christ. And the thing that stands out to us in this lineage is, number one, there are some names that we are very, very familiar with, but one thing that stands out is four women that are named in this. Last week we looked at Tamar, an unusual story about uh, a a woman that uh, if you hadn't heard the message, encourage you to go online and listen to it because I'll tell you, the way God shows this particular woman, an outsider, a Gentile, and a person who was quite frankly taken tremendous advantage of how how God used her with her children to break out and to break through into the lineage of Christ. An amazing story. This week, we look to another one. Another woman who was an outsider. But perhaps even more so, her name was Rahab. Rahab was one of those folks that we are sometimes hesitant to talk about in kind of general meetings. There's a lot of misunderstanding about Rahab, a lot of things that are important for us to understand, but Rahab was a bit of an outlier, not only because of her race, she was a Gentile, one who was from the outside looking in, but also because of her profession. Rahab was not one that uh, a parent would like to meet coming home and saying, hi, I'm your son's date because she was a woman of the oldest profession in the world. And yet at this particular point in history, her life has changed because the children of Israel are coming from 430 years of bondage. They have been promised by God that they would be taken into a new land, that the land would be given to them. This was the promised land that they had possessed prior to going to Egypt and a land that God is giving them as they come back. After 430 years, they've had 40 years of wandering in the desert, 40 years of becoming a, uh, of actually becoming a nation. And they are sitting on the cusp of the promised land, on the edge of the promised land, as they're looking forward in the book of Joshua to a tremendous campaign to take the promised land. As they're there, They stand in Shittim in a place to conquer the land, and two spies or scouts are sent to reconnoiter the land. That's the goal. And I want to tell you, these scouts leave a little something to be desired. Somewhere along the way, they hardly even get started, and they're discovered. I mean, they, they they make lousy spies, because... As soon as they get into town, I don't know if it's because of their, because they had a different aspect in terms of their race, 
I don't know if it's because they were strangers, because Jericho, the town that they go in, the city that they go into, was a fairly large city for that time, and it would have been a bit of people coming back and forth because it was somewhat along a trade route. And so you wonder how in the world they were discovered, and the mission is actually in peril. But as they go, they obviously aren't going to go to the officials of the city. They obviously aren't going to go to the most important people. No, what they do is they choose the house of a prostitute. Now, this house that they, that they choose is, in all likelihood, a, uh, a rather large home. As a matter of fact, there are some indications that it may even be a brothel. That Rahab is not just a single person there, but she is in charge, or she is actually running a house, if you will. And so they go in, and they entered the house of the prostitute named Rahab, according to Joshua chapter 2. And they stay there. And this is stopped almost before it starts because somehow or another with all of the people coming back and forth into the house of Rachel, of Rahab rather, into the house of Rahab, they recognize that these are foreigners, these are Jews, and they have probably been on the lookout. They've probably noticed that this whole throng of people are approaching. The record is there, the situation is bad, and they are worried. Now, as we get into this story, the interesting thing that you're going to find is that in a certain sense, a lot of the important details are left out. Because we're going to be introduced to the king or the leader or the mayor or whatever you want to call him, the head honcho of Jericho. Now, it seems a fairly important thing to know his name, doesn't it? We don't know his name. It seems like a fairly important thing to have the names of the two spies identified, the two scouts that are sent to reconnoiter the land, but we don't know the name of them. We know hardly anything about them. There's only one thing that we know out of this, and we know of a woman named Rahab that was a member of the oldest profession in the world. And there's a knock on the door. We want to know where the two spies are that came here. We want to know where the two spies are. Spies? What spies? And immediately we're a little bit troubled by the fact that God is going to use a woman who just quite frankly lies. Ever bother you? Ever wonder about this? This is is one of these ethical dilemmas that we see where a person doesn't tell the truth, and yet God uses that in a, in, in, in a certain way. She says, no, they've come and gone. They have come and gone. And you wonder, what is it about Rahab that she is willing to put her life on the line because she almost certainly is by aiding and abetting scouts that are there to reconnoiter the land so that they can take Jericho by force. What is it about this woman that prompts her to do what seems like a rather hazardous venture? No, she she casts her lot with the spies. She says, here I am. 
Now, what we're going to find is the thing about Rahab is she doesn't seem to be all that impressed with the Israelites or with the Jews themselves. But she is impressed with their God. And we see Rachel's statement is more than saving her skin. It's actually, it's actually a statement of faith that we're going to see developing. As the story unfolds, and we read about Rachel, as we read about who she is and what she does, we're going to find ourselves, Rahab, thank you, we're going to find ourselves not nearly so impressed with the Israelites as we are with Rahab. Because Rahab is an incredible individual. Rahab is a person who, who exercises a great deal of competence that we wouldn't normally associate with somebody in her position. Because somebody in her position, we would think, is rather on the lower rungs of society. Somebody in her position, we would think of somebody who was either taken into that position of what she is doing by force or by choice. And neither one seems to be all of that great an option. This is a person that we would not expect to be overly uh, capable. And yet Rachel, Rahab proves herself to be precisely that. Because after she sends off the king, after she sends off the king's agents and says, you need to go right now, you need to chase them, the scripture says this woman had taken the two men and hidden them. Uh, he, she, he, so the king of Jericho sent his message to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they've come to spy out the whole land. But the woman who had taken the two men and had hidden them, she said, yes, the men came to me, but I didn't know where they had come from. At dusk, it was time to close the city gate and they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them and maybe you'll catch them. And so they charge out. And Rahab is alone with the spies. She had taken them up to the roof and she'd hidden them among the uh, stalks of flax that were up there. So here's what Rahab says. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up to the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear has fallen on us. Now, there's an important thing that we see here. When Rahab says this, she says, I know that Yahweh has done this. She uses the covenant name of God. She says, a great fear has fallen on us. We've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you, for you when you came out of Egypt, what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites whom you completely destroyed, when we heard it, our hearts melted. This is a woman who, who has an accurate, an accurate view, an accurate concept of God. Once again, as we saw before, she's not all that impressed with the Israelites, but she is impressed with their God. And she accurately predicts, she accurately says who it is that is behind all of their successes. This is Yahweh of Israel. This is a woman who, as people have come into her home, who are hostile in terms of what they want to do to her and to the spies, she is able to completely deflect them and to convince them beyond the shadow of a doubt that nothing is amiss. She's capable of deflecting hostile interrogators firmly in control in the facts and the situations. And what we're going to see is it's not the spies that develop the plan. 
This whole thing gets turned completely on its head because we would think that it's the spies who are the capable ones. It's the scouts that are the ones who have that sense of intrigue, that sense of knowing what the next step is. But it's not, is it? It's Rahab. Everything we see in this passage is not the spies convincing Rahab of anything, but Rahab rather taking control of the situation and moving through in a very capable way. This is a highly capable, highly intelligent woman, very different than the pattern that we might have expected. Very different than the person that we would have thought of. And she is a woman who, interestingly enough, manages the situation when the spies hide and looks out for them. It's a great step of faith. We look at this in this passage, and as you read the passage in Joshua chapter 2, you find one person that stands head and shoulders above everyone else, and it's not the person that we would expect, is it? It's Rahab. It's not the spies. It's Rahab. It's not the king. It's Rahab. It's not the king's agents. Rahab is a highly capable, highly intelligent woman. She towers above the passage while the spies cower, hiding under the flax, wondering if they're going to get taken or not. This is a strange situation where everything seems to be turned on its head because it is the woman, it is the female in a man's world, it is the outsider who is moving to become the insider. And so she has a proposal. She says, now then, verse 13, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family. Now immediately when she says that, we see a couple of things that are extremely important. One of the things that, she said that is important is she says, swear to me by... Now when we read the word Lord we don't quite get the impact because she doesn't say just swear to me by God. She says swear to me by Yahweh. And so immediately we find Rahab reaching out and embracing the God of Israel. We see Rahab staking her future not just to the Israelites but to the God of the Israelites. She rejects her gods because Rahab has grown up in the pantheon of the Canaanite gods. She's grown up with the Baal, with the Ashtaroth. She's grown up perhaps even with the god Molech of the Ammonites. All of these are familiar to him, and these are parochial gods. That is, they are local gods. They are gods of certain aspects of creation. But when she looks at Yahweh, when she sees the God of Israel, she sees something very different. She confesses Yahweh as supreme, that this God is the God over heaven and earth. This is the God over everything. And she seeks mercy. She says, show me kindness. Now, if you're, if you're in the habit of marking your Bible and you have an NIV, you might just mark out the word kindness and put in the word mercy because that's the word that's used. The word is hesed in the Greek. And it's a very specific word. It's a covenant-oriented word. What I mean by that it is connected with salvation. It is connected with more than just be nice to me. It is pour out the mercy on me. Show me mercy. And she seeks the protection of God's covenant people. Rahab is the first one that will actively predict the fall 
of Jericho. This is more than just saving her skin. Rahab is turning her back on her past and looking to the future, and as she looks to the future, her future is tied to God. Her future is tied to the supreme God. Her future is tied to the God of Israel. Her statement is that Yahweh is stronger and less parochial than the gods of Baal and Asheroth and Molech. She has come to believe in God and her actions demonstrate it. Now this is an exceptional statement by a Canaanite woman. This is an exceptional statement by a woman who we would not expect to be this capable, who we would not expect to be this, this able in terms of seeing her future. The plan is struck, even though the Israelites are expressly forbidden for striking plans with, for striking agreements with Canaanites. But there is something here. There is something here that takes this prohibition about, about making agreements with the Canaanites and in the minds of the spies makes it okay. And it's that statement of faith. It's the statement of faith that Rahab makes that actually does this. So the plan unfolds. It's an appeal for mercy that comes. She says, show me mercy. Show me kindness. And then she says this, very important in verse 12 and 13. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, that you will save them from death. They said, our lives for your lives. The agreement struck. But now notice there are two things that are asked for. Number one, she asked for an oath. Swear by God's name. Swear by the name of Yahweh. She bases it on a promise. She bases it on their faithfulness to the Lord God of Israel. And then she says, show me a sign. Now, a couple of things before we get into this sign that I want you to know. Who is the sign for? Is the sign for the Jews or is the sign for Rahab? It's for Rahab. Whatever it is that she's going to receive as a sign is something that she places her trust in, that she uses to to assure herself that this is true and this is faithful. It's not for the Israelites. If you don't tell what we're doing and if you treat it, If you treat us kindly and faithfully, when the Lord gives us our hands, our lives for your lives. So she says, okay. And she lets them down by a rope. Verse 13, and off they go. And she tells them exactly what they're supposed to do. She tells them the path that they're supposed to take. She tells them how long they're supposed to wait in the mountains before they go back. She tells them everything. She formulates the entire plan. And now we see the sign coming up in verse 17. Now the men said to her, the oath that you made us, we swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord through the window which you have let us down unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all of your family into the house. All right. So here we are. Here's the sign. 
Now, once again, who is the sign for? For Rahab. Scarlet cord. What is this all about? Well, here's what a lot of people say. A lot of people say that that scarlet cord is like a bright crimson scarlet flag that you tie on to to your window that's facing out of the wall. So it's a sign for all of the Jews that that place won't be touched. Now that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? That a woman whose house is suspect for having hidden spies as the Jews approach is suddenly going to fly this great flag banner out of her house, signaling something to the Jews out there. doesn't make any sense. It's not that kind of a banner. It's not that kind of a thing where she's signaling to the Jews that everything is okay. doesn't make any sense. What is it? And it's not even for the Jews out there. It's for Rahab. What is it? What is it? Well, there's an important word when you look at the word for cord. The word in Hebrew is tikva, T-I-Q-V-A-H, transliterated. The word tikva is used 34 times in the Old Testament. Okay? So get the picture. 34 times the word tikva is used. In 32 of those 34, the word carries the significance of hope or expectation or the ground on which you base your hope. 32 of 34 times, you know the only two places where this word is translated cord. Joshua chapter 2. So clearly, that word, it's, it's like Certainly it was some kind of a cord that is hung from the window. But it's not a signal to the Jews. It's a sign of the hope of Rahab. Now think about it. Hang the scarlet hope from the window. That is the ground of her expectation. That is the ground of what Rahab is basing her faith on that scarlet cord, that scarlet hope that looks to the future. It's a sign for Rahab. So what is the sign? What is the point? Well, there are two things that I want to point to. One is somebody that we studied last week, Tamar. Now, if you want the full detail of Tamar, you have to go back and listen to it. But there's a bond that comes together because when you look at the stories between Rahab and Tamar, there are certain, I want to I be careful not to call it a spiritualized connection. But I want to talk about a concordance, similarities in the story. First off, both are Canaanite women. Both are outsiders. Both have issues with being outsiders, not only racially because of their Canaanite background, but socially. In Tamar's case, she is a widow who is being denied her rights. And in Rahab's case, she is a prostitute who would be perhaps not looked on as the best businesswoman or the best profession to be 
involved in, even by the folks of Jericho. So you have this, you have this concordance going on here. You have the situation where both of them have some sort of rope or cord involved. In Tamar's case, you remember the pledge that was given her was the seal of Judah, the cord of Judah, the cord, and his staff. In Rahab's case, it's the cord, that scarlet cord. And then you have this final statement. If you remember Tamar, finally, Judah sees, finally, she becomes pregnant by Judah. And if you remember, she has twins. Now, there's a strange story that when the twins are born, the first twin's arm comes out, and you remember what they do? There's a scarlet cord that's tied around the wrist of Zerah, who will be the second born. The firstborn comes out, and there, there's, that, there's that moment when he comes out, and there's the surprise of the scarlet cord. Now, it seems too coincidental that you have this scarlet cord in both, in both cases, this scarlet cord that connects the two women. It's as though God is saying, he's not saying they're the same, but it's as though God's saying there is a real connecting point here. But there's another background story that perhaps is even more significant. You remember there was a point in time when the Jews as a nation had gone through nine plagues, and there was a tenth plague that was coming. It was the plague of the tenth born. And you remember that there was a, there was a sacrifice to be made. There was a sacrifice to be made, and the Jews, in order to be safe, had to all be within the household. They had to be within the physical confines of the house. And on the outside of the door, on the doorposts and on the, on the headboard to the door, the scarlet had to be painted. The blood had to be applied. In one case, and in the same case, you have this, you have this situation in Exodus where God says, if anyone steps outside of this house, they're on their own. If anyone removes themselves from the safety of the scarlet, if you will, from the safety of the blood that is painted on the doorpost, that is painted on the headpiece to the the door, if anyone leaves the household, they're on their own. And the firstborn will certainly die. In Rahab's case, you find this situation where in the exit point in in, in the window in the wall, The scarlet thread is hung. And the spies say, if anyone in this household is outside of the confines of this particular household, where the scarlet is hung, where the scarlet hope is there, if anyone is outside, they're on their own. They're responsible for their own deaths. This connection seems to be too strong to overlook. The connection with Rahab, the grace of God by the scarlet hope seems to be inescapable. 
And so the outsider moves inside. Rahab, a Canaanite woman outside of the confines of God's grace because of her race. A woman of Jericho, a city that stands condemned. A city that is under the curse of God that says every one of its inhabitants will be slaughtered except for Rahab. A woman who is under the condemnation of her society because of her profession, because of what she does. She is not considered one of the bright spots in this community. And yet God takes all of those factors and he says, this one is mine. This is the one that if we were looking back in our heritage, back in our lineage, and we were featured on who do you think you are, and we were the ones who were saying, these are my ancestors, we would not necessarily choose Rahab to highlight and say, we want to make special note of this person. But you see, when God is involved, things are different. When God is involved, things that we might consider shameful, things that we might consider not worthy of mentioning, God brings up as a point of pride. God brings up as a point of of spectacular grace. Because in Rahab's case, it's not so much what she was, it's what she will become. Because as the Jews approach Jericho, we don't know the details of how exactly she comes to escape and move out with them. We don't know the details. All we know is that she does because the walls of Jericho are completely fallen down, including that house. So, somehow or another, she escapes and she is welcomed into God's people. The Canaanite, the outsider, the prostitute, are welcomed into God's people. She becomes part of God's covenant people. Not only that, but she is completely included in God's people because a woman like this, what might we say? Well, it's all grace, and we recognize that. So we're going to give you a spot kind of on the outside of the camp. We're going to make sure people know who you are, and we're glad to have you in, in the citizenry of Israel, but you can be kind of a second-class citizen. The fascinating thing is this Canaanite woman, this woman who had a background that was probably not stellar, gets married. She is welcomed into the group, and she becomes the wife of Salmon. Now, that's a name that is probably not a household word to you. But she was the mother of, let's see, she was the the mother of Boaz. Now, if you remember Boaz, Boaz is a man that we find in the book of Ruth that comes to the rescue of yet another Gentile named Ruth. So her daughter-in-law is Ruth. Her grandson is named Obed. And she becomes the grandmother of David, the one who will be king of Israel. And she is listed in that great heroes of faith passage that we read earlier. Rahab, 
by faith. You know, Rahab is nowhere congratulated in Scripture for not telling the truth. This is never in Scripture promoted as something ideal. But in her heart, protecting the spies and moving her faith moment, in her faith moment to the God of Israel, that's the moment of grace. That's the moment of God's action. By faith, it says, by faith. The prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed. She was not killed because of her faith. She was not killed because of her profession of faith in Yahweh, the God of Israel. She was not killed because she turned her back on the gods that she had grown up with and embraces the God of Israel. And she is welcomed in their fullness into the family of God and significance through his people. She finds herself in the lineage of Jesus Christ. You know why this is a story about Christmas? Because we find in Rahab's life exactly what God wants to do with each one of us through Jesus Christ. That was the point of the coming of Jesus Christ. Because all of us in our own way are Rahab's. All of us in our own way can look back on our lives and say, we could not have made it. We were on the outside looking in. We were unable, unfit to be included in the family of Jesus Christ. And yet through God's grace and God's mercy, with her statement of faith, with her statement of belief in Yahweh, the God of Israel, with our statement of faith, with our statement of belief in Jesus Christ, we are welcomed into the presence of God. And the things that we would consider to our shame, you get this? The things that we would consider that aren't worth mentioning, the things that we would look at and say, we hope that nobody finds this, we hope that in our vetting that nobody discovers this about our past, these are the very things that God brings up and says, this one is a triumph of my grace. The things that we consider garbage, God considers gold. This is the marvelous grace of God. And by coming to God through the scarlet hope, through the blood of Jesus Christ, we find ourselves included into the family of God. An amazing story, the scarlet hope. Jesus Christ did not come to be served, but to serve, to seek, and to save we who were lost. Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for Rahab and for the impact that she makes on our hearts and lives, Lord. We thank you that as we look at her, we see someone who we would not have chosen to elevate. We would not have chosen to exalt. We would not have chosen to say, this one is in the lineage of Christ, in the, in, in the, in the ancestry of Christ. This is the one who is in the family tree. We, we would have kind of left her off to the side as a footnote, but Lord, you didn't. You chose to say that God welcomes the outsider. 
that God welcomes the depreciated, that God welcomes those who we might not be cho choose to welcome, and God, yes, even exalts them. We thank you, Lord, for her faith. We thank you for what she became, because, Lord, it tells us what we can become in Jesus Christ. We thank you for the mothers of Christ and what they teach us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.